friends, and thanks for listening to the Capital City Soccer Show, your independent source for everything Austin FC. On today's show, we're going to talk to Travis Clark of Top Drawer Soccer about the Super Draft and the Austin FC Academy. We'll also speculate a little bit about when the 2021 season is going to start, and we'll make some guesses about what the newly announced legendary jersey is going to look like. I'm Landon Cottom, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. Um, Landon, I was thinking about... Um, sort of our history doing shows at one point this show was a soccer beer and politics podcast and we very happily gave up the politics part but i feel like we've sort of been we've been ignoring the beer part of it a little bit lately um we have haven't we yeah with so much news going on so let's talk a little beer like have you had anything good or interesting lately um i haven't been super adventurous lately i'm still i bought a a crap ton of sputnik whenever it first came out and I'm still kind of nursing my way through those. Uh, but I did try some, uh, I'm not doing dry January, but I know a lot of people are. And I, I heard an episode of the beerists where, um, they talked about, they did, they did a whole episode reviewing non-alcoholic beers and they did a couple. They're like, hey, these are actually pretty good. And I would, I would drink these just normally. And so I tried a couple of those. And one of them was, um, uh, Brooklyn brewings, um, what is it called? Special effects or something like that. But it's like a, a non-alcoholic pale ale. It was fine. It's um, it's one of those things like if I were like visiting another country and they brought this to me and said like, this is like a, a, a customary drink in our country. Everybody drinks it. And it's, it's this, uh, this carbonated drink made from barley and hops but there's no alcohol in it this is just what it is and i tasted it i would be like oh this is actually pretty good i would drink this but if you said this is kind of like beer and that's what it tastes like is like kind of like beer and so but not just exactly like, yeah. it just tastes like a different thing and so they did a really great job of making something that's kind of like beer that doesn't have alcohol in it um but it's still not beer but one one thing that um i think lagunitas does this one and i think it's just called hop but it's essentially a hopped sparkling water. Um, and it's really nice. It's like, it's almost fruity. It's like got a really fruity nose and it's got like some fruit notes to it, like kind of those fruity hop notes that you would get. So there's no sugar, there's no other flavoring in it. It's just hopped sparkling water and it's really, really nice. Uh, so I would, I would definitely recommend trying that one. And can you just get that anywhere or did you have to really seek these out? No, it's Lagunitas is is easy to find everywhere. And then the Brooklyn one, I, I think I got the Brooklyn one at Central Market. And then the Lagunitas, um, I think I've seen it even at just like the gas station down the street before. Yeah, that's that's cool. Well, I just picked up today, um, I went by Hop Squad and picked up some Professor Pleasant IPA. And one of the other things that we were talking about before we started recording is how a lot of the places like this, like you just get the can, like where they're writing on the top because they, they can't predict label producing. But you know, shockingly, the beer tastes exactly the same, whether like the paper labels <laughs> is on it or not. So it's tasty and I'm going to enjoy it throughout the show. I think it tastes better without a label. <laughs> it it's feels like, hipster. It's like hipster it's beer. It's like art- artisanal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's uh, let's transition into the interview that we mentioned. It's, it's a, a longer one, so we want to make sure we leave enough time for that. But we're going to talk to Travis Clark. He is the director of content for Top Drawer Soccer. Top Drawer Soccer is kind of a really well-known youth and college soccer website. So we thought it'd be interesting to have him on to kind of um, to preview the Super Draft for us because I'm not going to lie and say I've watched a ton of, of college soccer in my days. So we, we decided to get an expert on to to guide us through the the waters of the super draft. So we'll take a quick break and we'll we'll be right back with Travis Clark. We are joined today by Travis Clark, who is the director of content for Top Drawer Soccer. Travis, thanks so much for joining us. No problem. Happy to be here. Happy to talk a little MLS draft. Big, big week for Austin, right? Yeah, I mean, every week's a big week for us. It's a, it's always like the there's always a first, a new first thing happening, and so this is going to be our first college draft. So we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly not, not not to start off on a down note, but the draft isn't what it is. But it's when you're picking high up there, there's always a chance to, there's a much better chance, I should say, of coming up with a difference making player than you know if you're picking at, you know, in the 20s nowadays. But it's 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 really interesting the way the draft has evolved for sure. 
Yeah. So before we jump into uh, draft talk, can you just tell our listeners what Top Drawer Soccer is? Yeah, for sure. Uh, we cover a bunch of soccer, obviously. Predominantly, the I would, the best way I I describe it is the what is it the, the elite non professional soccer in America is sort of like our our forte. So you have you know high level club soccer, whether that's you know kids in high school predominantly. We cover U.S. youth national teams. Obviously, that looks a lot different over the past year because there's not any U.S. youth national teams in action. Uh, we cover college soccer. We cover college recruiting. One way I try to explain it to people who don't know us or don't know soccer is like it's like a rival's pseudo equivalent for but specifically for soccer. So, you know, we do a lot of that. You know, draft coverage is just one tiny piece of it. College recruiting is, I wouldn't say gets more, but, you know, like National Signing Day for college soccer is actually the highest traffic, the highest day of traffic that we get on our website, I believe. Um, and you know, it's not obviously the big tech, you know, big football, big basketball days, but it gets a lot of eyeballs on our website. So it's a variety of stuff. We're tracking future professionals and, you know, I, I, I watched Christian Pulisic play when he was like 14, 15. <laughs> I've seen a lot. I'm, I've been around the game long enough as to make, not to make myself sound old, but I've been doing it since 2012. So, you know, I've seen a lot of the players coming through, you know, Gio Reyna when he was 13 or 14, those sorts of things that, um, I'm not trying to sound creepy, but it's like, it's very interesting just to watch players. You learn a lot about the way not just players develop, but also humans develop and all the things that we as soccer fans, like the things that you don't see and you never really know how that impacts how a player develops, you know, and how you can look, take it out to a team level. I'm going really meta here, but like <laughs> how a team comes together, the, like the things you don't see, like, so, um, you know, we're, we're tracking a lot of the future stars in American soccer is, is to make it into a hokey slogan. Well, that, yeah, that's, awesome. yeah, that's cool. And that actually touches before we get into the draft. I wanted to talk a little bit about that. We, cause the only soccer that we've had in Austin is the Academy. Um, and so we're insanely plugged into a group of 13, 14 and 15 year olds, um, you know, probably in a way that's not normal and won't be whenever the, whenever the, the, uh, MLS team takes the field. But the Austin FC Academy did really well against Texas teams um, this fall. And from what we can tell generally, it seems like Dallas, Houston, some of the other academies are well regarded. Can you talk about where the Texas Academies fit sort of overall uh, on a national basis? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because first and foremost, with the the way that I don't think the Austin FC team ever played in the Development Academy, if I'm not wrong, right? Did they launch in 2019 20? But like um, this is the first season, right? No, they they played like part of a season in. Okay, yeah. So they played the 2019-20 season. So as we're talking, and I, you know, toss out all my expertise, it's a lot different now because you have the development academy was shut down by the U.S. Soccer Federation, which was at that time sort of the elite boys league. Now MLS Next is the platform that they're you're know, using and. We just don't know it as well. It's not as publicized. And obviously, it's all being played in the background of a pandemic. So you have that. FC Dallas is one of the standard bearers for development in North America when it comes to MLS teams. Them and the Philadelphia Union are uh, are up there. The Dynamo, for whatever reason, you know, I've never visited. I've never seen it up close and personal. They've, they've struggled. It'd be very easy for Austin FC to get ahead of you know, the Dynamo and just in terms of investing in it putting in not just like scouting and developing players but also you know bringing those players into the first team and then giving them a chance because one thing fc dallas gets all this attention and all this plot so they signed you know their first like 10 12 homegrown players were you know signing and just they had nowhere to go no place to play you know guys were just turning down full rides to division one programs like maryland and you know, signing for $40,000 a year. So things are a lot different if they're that guard. So there, Austin has a completely different landscape that they're operating in, I would say. And I, you know, you look at Texas and I don't know the Austin area as well, but I have to imagine there's a lot of talent that can be tapped into and ushered in the right way to really not just be one of the best in the, in the state, but one of the best in, you know, in MLS. And what do you, what do you think it is about Dallas that makes it 
you know, specifically successful that could be a model for Austin? I think it's, you know, it's having the right people in the right places to operate it in a way that it can be successful. And I think, you know, the, the, the area is obviously a big factor, right? You have so many players, the way soccer's been, you know, the, the success of kids coming from Dallas and making it onto the, you know, whether it's national teams, you know, there wasn't a huge list, but, you know, Omar Gonzalez played for big clubs down there, uh, Dallas Texans. And I think, you know, you have to set it up in a way that really emphasize a player's development and then integrates them into trainings at up higher levels, pushing them on, you know, kind of basic stuff that if you really get into the weeds with it, it, it really, it really allows players to shine and be on a platform to succeed. So I think that Austin, you know, starting what it looks like from what I've seen, they're putting money in it, they're taking it seriously. And that is a good start because when it comes to MLS and academies that isn't always, you know, taking it seriously, putting big, you know, serious money into it. And as we're starting to see players are being transferred for, you know, five, $6 million when they're 19, 20 years old, the European clubs. And that's not, that's not huge, huge money, but that's significant and something that finally MLS teams are waking up to. And again, FC Dallas, I think that's one thing Austin really needs to can really learn from Dallas from other teams is that, you know, if they're not just taking it seriously, but then also is there a pathway to go from that U13 team all the way eventually, you know, whether it's when the kids are 16, whether the kids are 20, getting them into the team, the first team, and then also playing them, giving them chances on the field, the opportunities that they need, because that was one thing that teams did struggle before that are now doing well, but then it's still other teams you see across the league, they still struggle to do that because, you know, for other reasons, it's, hard to justify putting a 17 year old if that player is not ready if the coach needs to win to keep his job so it's all these forces at work and it's it's kind of balancing that to then you know get the you know mark mckenzie the brendan harrison's the alfonso davies of guys that are moving from your mls your academy to your mls team to europe or even just to mls contributors and, and stars in the league so i don't want to spend too much time talking academy stuff so we have some time for the super draft but one thing that I've always been curious about is uh, why teams don't take it seriously. So, uh, an well, example- expensive. I'm not not going to cut you off, but you have to put big money into it. Millions. We're talking, you know, it's not like ten million dollars a year, but if it's like one to two million dollars a year, it adds up. So that is, you know, it's, it's kind of a bottom line decision, in my opinion. Anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Well, no, but- like an, an example I wanted to bring up was um, Minnesota United recently, kind of. Not, not all, all but scrapped their academy system and Austin actually ended up with two of those players on their U15 team this year there's two players who have been playing in the, the Minnesota academy system and are now playing in the Austin FC academy system and so I was just curious as to like why and that was going to be my question is it does it yeah. come strictly down to money is that is that the the biggest issue yeah I would say so obviously when you have people involved there's politics and not like you know Republicans and Democrats, but just infighting and power struggles within organizations that you have in whether it's a you know a company or whatever, you have those kind of issues. And you know, you have to have not just, you know, the, the people in place to run these teams, but you also want to do it well. So that, you know, that's manpower. It's just a lot of things. And then local politics within soccer clubs and stuff like that that you don't want to have to deal with. So yeah, Minnesota is a really interesting one. That seems to me just about cost saving and cobbling things together because it's how the union actually operated their academy when they first launched. They didn't want to piss anybody off in the area. So they were like, okay, here's what we're going to do. You guys will have your players on your teams and then we'll call them up and they will then play on like a select team right. wearing union shirts and gear and then we'll like send them back out. So, you know, I think from on the outside looking in and totally speculating, it seems like they're just trying to cut costs and not really want to put money into it, which again, it's, it's the prerogative of the people who own the team. And yeah, it's disappointing, but also understandable if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. Let, let's uh, jump into some super draft talk. So 
looking at the players that are available this year and the players that have been available in years past, one thing that stuck out is that there are quite a few USL players in the draft this year, which doesn't seem to have been the case in years past. So can you tell us a little bit why that is? Yeah. Oh, it's not hundred percent sure why I think <laughs> part of it is the, the pandemic and the coronavirus situation where the bulk of men's division one college, you know, the bulk of all men's college soccer didn't play in the fall of 2020. So I think the decision was made to then like find out, okay, who can we like search for and then try to pull in God, I don't know how they're justifying eligibility or what, because, you know, the generation Adidas program, we just set up that is basically creating the pathway for players to, you know, it's, a player can't declare for a draft, the draft in the sort of the classic NFL or NBA fashion. They have to go through a program, which is called generation Adidas, which we'll get, um, get to a little bit more. And so I think they've added these USL players. Some, some have signed their contracts as recently as what was it? August others left school you know all these guys had last played in 2019 and at various points in 2020 signed a deal with either an mls run usl team or a couple of were on independent teams one player josh bauer i know specifically was you know he had structured his contract to let him out in order to get eligible for the draft so he's already you know he's draft eligible but the other guys i i think it's just a case of having draft rights so like teams picking later can add these guys and maybe MLS is hoping that teams in the twenties aren't going to like end up passing in the first round, which, you know, every year, once you get to the third round, teams will start passing and just saying, you know, skipping their picks. And it's not about, you know, part of it is the talent level available, but also it's the roster structure. A lot of college players sign, you know, the supplemental roster, the off budget deals. I don't know how nerdy into roster rules you guys have gotten on your podcast we're, we're getting we're getting there <laughs> you know that's, we've done a lot of homework over the last few months and that's another reason why the draft has lost its importance is that teams want to save these roster spots for you know that up-and-coming 15 year old right and since you know in the case of austin fc they don't have an academy or they don't have these kids yet necessarily maybe they do but you know, if you don't have those players, then you can get players to the draft. But a lot of these teams, they don't want to burn a roster spot on a college player that's 23 or 24. Maybe they could be a, you know, a practice player for a year, get some minutes here or there, but don't have that future that they're, you know, they're hoping that a younger teenager might have. So um, that I think had led the MLS as an organization to put all these USL eligible or USL players into the draft. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to shake out. Honestly, it's, it's, I've never seen it before, but it's, you know, combination of the pandemic and trying to boost the, the talent pool as best they can. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And so you haven't said this specifically, but like we've hinted around the fact that the talent pool is very different than it has been, especially 10 years ago, but we'd say like, you know, compared to five years ago over the last five years, like, is this, is this a deep, is this a deep draft pool? Is this a, shallow draft pool like what should we expect never having gone through this before yeah I, you know i think it's, it's it's about the same as it has in the last four or five years where you have a lot of a lot of international students who have come to play the u.s some are pretty good some are you know 25 years old as freshmen and you're kind of like is an mls team really going to give a shot and that's a little bit of an exaggeration but it's not like a lot of the a lot of the players that come will have you know burned through their U19 eligibility. They'll play semi-pro for you know until they're 20, 21, and then they'll come to the U.S. and be classified as a freshman. So that also helps them stand out because you know they're a little more physically developed than a 18-year-old U.S. kid who you know is getting used to it, you know what it is a step up in competition. And I think that you know the, as we've talked about the academies, that has obviously depleted the level of talent within the the draft eligible ranks as well because a lot of the best players when they're you know like you talked about with the minnesota players moving to austin you know a lot of players are looking for pro academies because it's for a lot of them it's free uh, and then it's higher level training and you can even train obviously with the first team when you are still in the academy so you have those opportunities so you look for that and then when you go to if you end up going to play college soccer from the pro academy your rights are held by that team and you can only sign a homegrown deal. So, you know, for listeners who are wondering what that might not know sort of those mechanisms, Isaiah Parente is a name to look up. 
he signed with the crew. You can, you know, Aiden Morris signed with the crew after playing a year at Indiana and started an MLS Cup. There's just a couple of like specific examples of guys to look up. And then, you know, as a result, then the draft pool is losing, you know, the, the up and coming American that's going, he's still going to school because their draft rights are held by, or their MLS rights or whatever are held by that specific team. And they won't be involved in the draft. So there are some guys that teams have said, no, thank you. And they end up into the pool, but a lot of those guys aren't going to be like your higher picks. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so let's jump into some of the kind of the, the top talent that is available. You mentioned generation Adidas earlier and tell me if I'm understanding this correctly. So the draft is generally open to college seniors. And then in, like we mentioned, some special cases, uh, players who have played pro and are now, somehow eligible for the draft again yeah. um, and i don't then we have how they are eligible i don't know but yeah <laughs> and then generation adidas is for lower classmen so people who aren't seniors who are deemed good enough to be eligible for the draft is that more or less yeah, the case so they have a contract they've signed the contract they've turned pro they have an you know an understanding and a team has said hey i'm going to draft this guy and he will be on our team so it's oh so it's team specific they they well, they, want, they get word you know, from a team that says that there, there's enough teams who have shown interest in specific players where okay so they can't you know have these guys sign a generation adidas contract and then no one picks them right there has to be a team out there or i i, I don't know like the specifics nitty-gritty details but they kind of take the temperature though and they say, have like, a this guy's definitely gonna go they have signed with an agent and that agent has worked out a contract with the like league. So there, cause you know how in MLS there's central contracts, right. You know, MLS contract to all the players. So then this, these players have signed these MLS contracts and then, you know, the salary has already worked out. So, you know, the generation of these players are picked and they will go to that team and they will have, you know, however many years that contract lasts. And, you know, obviously they could still get, end up getting cut at, at some point down the road, but, uh, usually it's like a two years guaranteed and then, you know, three option club, club option years. It could be two and two now. I'm not hundred percent sure, but and the point being the player makes your team as a GA. And then again, we'll go to the, onto that roster spot that we're talking about the off budget roster or whatever. Right. All right. So um, the five players I think did. So <laughs> we'll, we'll get into this, but the for three that I know for sure have signed generation to contracts so far are, Philip Mayaka from Clemson, Calvin Harris from Wake Forest, and Daniel Pereira from Virginia Tech. And then I think Ethan Bartlow from Washington and Brett Halsey from Virginia, they were rumored to going to, like they were going to sign, but I don't know if they officially have yet or not, but it seems like they're going to. Yeah, so they haven't. be five generations. The, the latter two, I wouldn't worry about the latter two. I don't think Austin would pick either of them. I, maybe they'd pick, uh, no, they probably wouldn't. I think the first three guys are the ones who are the best, you know, three of the best. They did actually have seasons in 2020, um, Pereira, Mayaka, and Calvin Harris. So those are the three guys I would think to worry about. I don't think the latter two are official quite yet, but um, I would feel like Mayaka or Harris are the guys that Austin fans would really want to zero in on. You know, the one is a, you know, they're both international. So that's an interesting piece to it. Mayaka is from Kenya. He came to the U S I don't, recall what how old he was but he played for the Monteverde Academy yeah which had like a weird like collaboration with Orlando City so he like played for Orlando City a little bit but he's not a homegrown player again weird MLS rules that <laughs> even people that do this all the time don't understand and then you have Calvin Harris as a winger from Wake Forest he came to the U.S. he's like from the UK played in Hong Kong and New Zealand before coming to play here so he's like a a pretty dynamic like so play off the dribble i think those are the two names that i would focus on now as i say that maybe they picked danny Pereira, who uh i'll go in, you know he's from virginia tech he's another interesting case uh an, an asylum seeker from venezuela who i believe moved at the start of high school and was like a high, high school standout in southwest virginia went to virginia tech for two years he's a kind of a deep line playmaker can like picks up the ball, make stuff happen. I don't know. You know, I think Moyaka's mobility is what makes me think that he'll be the first pick. He can just, he can be everywhere. You watch Clemson play. He wasn't as good 
in 2020 as he was in 2019, but I'm, I'm willing to give players a pass like that. But, you know, he's a little bit small, but he moves really well, good in tight spaces. I think, you know, I don't think any of these guys necessarily have like sort of a Daryl DK like potential. If you want to be, you know, comparing him, you know, comparing kind of past draft standouts to some of these guys, but you know, I'd say between Harris, Mayaka, or Prayer, you could probably find a a player that could see minutes in 2021, depending how the roster's built, depending how these players do. I think one thing that often gets overlooked is the player has to have the right fit and then get that opportunity from the coach. And then the player has to kind of like put that together by taking the, the chance and showing that he can compete. So if any of them can show that they can do it right away, then they could certainly be in line for minutes, but uh, you know, especially if it's at like a forward spot or a midfield spot, it, you know, it's probably a roster that's coming together with guys from abroad. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Yeah. So just looking at, um, different opinions of, of people who are paying attention to this. So like Ivis Glarsep and Matt Doyle, and I imagine, and I think you did in your column for MLSsoccer.com as well, picked Mayaka as the number one, like the top prospect. And I think, look, at, well, I watched quite a bit of film of him today. I think he's the one who best fits what Austin needs right now. Um, we have one like proper central midfielder. That's not mm-hmm. like a winger or attacking midfielder. It's Alex Ring is really the only one we have right now. And so I think Philip Mayaka, like, like you said, he's, he's not that big, but he's a, a smart and aggressive defender. He's really high motor, ball secure. I think he would slot in quite well next to a player like Alex Ring. So I think yeah. he's probably the best fit. Um, it, it's, do you think that he's, is he that much better than, than those other two you mentioned that he's like definitely going to be the number one pick? Or do you think it's kind of a toss up there? Yeah, I mean, honestly, like I said, I think the one thing that will definitely be happening is also be picking a GA kid. So I don't, and then if Brett Halsey and Ethan Barlow, assuming, you know, I'm Ives and I think Steve Goff reported that both were going and, or at least to some degree, I would definitely trust those guys, but I don't think I, I would be stunned if Barlow or Halsey were picked by Austin. I'll just put it that way. Just not, not, not that that's, a knock on those players but I think there's just a little more upside with like the first three players I think the one thing that's always hard to know when you're guessing about drafts especially in soccer it's like this isn't the NFL this isn't the NBA where you're like oh these are basically where I'm getting all my players from like Austin could have you know a beat on two or three deals for players coming from abroad who are midfielders and then like oh let's roll the dice on Harris because you know, we like what he does out in the wings and maybe that'll be good to have just another body in the mix there. But, you know, as so I think looking at it from a fit perspective is always just so hard to know. Um, just basing it off from my experience, trying to guess what he has. But I mean, everything you said about him makes perfect sense. I think he, he can really buzz around where Alex Ring, I don't think he's quite, covers quite as much ground. It's hard to know because he played on a baseball stadium for so long. <laughs> yeah, there's not as much ground to cover there. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the way you put it's like all right, Mayaka's gonna go number one. No, no when you're putting it like that, because I haven't even I haven't looked extensively at the roster build at Austin. I try to look through every MLS team, just like okay, you know, they could do this, they could do that, and I don't get, but I don't like go too crazy with it, especially I mean, with an expansion team where you just like they could just be pulling guys. I mean, they'll be pulling guys out of they've never heard of, believe I from. You know whether it's an MLS guy or you know from more South Americans that kind of a thing so it's hard to really know for sure but I think that's a good call on Mayaka for pretty sure yeah it seemed like for a long time we'd only signed wingers and it's like if we're gonna sign like somebody is gonna be like one of those like like those front four like most attacking players like at this point they need to be like nailed on starters and so that's kind of why I think we'll take Mayaka because I think there is room for him to to win a starting spot in that midfield with the players we have now. But another thing roster wise, I wanted to bring up is uh, you mentioned international players earlier. So Austin actually still has uh, probably more international roster spots than they need. We've only used three of them so far. So Mm -hmm. we have five international roster spots and we only have three senior roster spots left. um, Like senior, like a senior roster spots left on our roster. So I think, 
that like they would probably wouldn't mind using an international spot on one of these guys. So do you think it's possible that maybe some of these higher rated players could drop down to, so Austin has the number 11 pick. They have number one and then number 11. Do you think it's possible that some of these inter, these higher rated players in this draft could drop down because they're international players and would take up an international roster spot? Yeah, I don't, not the generation Adidas players, more than likely. I mean, there's always a chance, right? You never know. Some teams could change their mind on draft day, but it would be pretty, pretty surprising to me to see, you know, sometimes generation Adidas players do drop, but I think that, you know, there's a chance that Barlow or Halsey could be there, I think, more than the other guys. But again, I, I could be totally wrong. There's been some drafts where international guys, on GA deals or ended up get, getting picked in the second round. And then you wonder what, what exactly happened with that player and why were they in the draft and um, all that kind of a thing. But I, I, I wouldn't, it would surprise me. I think you're looking at, you'd have to look more in the, the senior crop, you know, maybe, maybe if you're Austin FC, if you're Claudia Arena and Josh Wolf, you're, you're reaching out to some of these guys in the USL and gauging their interest, seeing what it would take for them to come into camp. But again, like those are players going to be under contract. Are you, you don't want to have to you know, spend money and when, when you're already looking to spend lots of money on the roster as a whole and to bring in starters. So uh, they're, they're probably going to be looking more at some of the senior players for sure. And, you know, look at, you know, in some, some drafts from the expansion past, uh, the recent expansion past, what Cincinnati, whenever they came into the league, was that 2019, 2018? They went crazy on the draft, ended up with some guys that worked out, some guys that didn't, you know, look at last year, Nashville, their, their top pick, Jack Mayer, a center back out of Indiana, barely played, but what was it? Alistair Johnson, they picked him somewhere in the team. Yeah, they actually, they, they, they picked starters. him at 11. So he was the exact same spot that, that Austin yeah, has now. Right. Yeah. So that that's a kind of example where it's like you look at it, the way that the team is constructed, that's like kind of a good example for our, you know, awesome fans to look at and be like, well, the young center back didn't get the chance because they brought in all these older center backs who are more experienced. Obviously the, the position is different, but, but Johnson, they, I think he played as their right back. So it's just going to come down to who they end up identifying there and, you know, whether they looked for like, Hey, we want to bring this player in because we really think he can compete for a spot at like a right back or a, wherever else. Or do we want to just like you know build our depth in a center back? And you know, if like let's say for example, if one of the GA kids is there, Ethan Bartlow, you know, he would probably be a pretty serviceable third or fourth center back, and that would be and a great pick for Austin. Is really good on the ball as well, which is something that Wolf is has looked for in center back so far. So I think he could be a good fit. I also think they've also really stressed the flexibility in the players and so somebody like um i already forgot his name what's the uh halsey who played a lot of midfield but they're thinking will likely be a, a right back in mls so someone who can play multiple positions i think yeah if, it would be great if probably one of those players would fall that deep but yeah we'll, we'll have to see how, how far uh any of those actually fall but um yeah is there did you have any other questions jeremiah no, we appreciate the time. Do you have any parting parting wisdom or anything we should look forward to on Super Draft Day? <laughs> yeah, I just think you you should enjoy it and keep watching video of college players that you've never heard of. And unfortunately, nobody could watch play in the fall of twenty twenty because it's it's always a an interesting time to see people try to really engage with. Uh, the college game and not not to and it's all, all way more difficult now because there was no college game college soccer in 2020 so uh, i think hopefully it's another step towards an opening day whenever that whenever that's going to be and hey maybe there'll be like what two or three more players i'm not sure how many picks austin has in total but it's a chance to get to know a few more players on your team we have four. We'll see if they if they use them all. It seems like it's been kind of a trend over the last few years to not use them all. So I think the, I think for as a new franchise, I would expect to see them use them all, but I wouldn't expect all four to necessarily make the roster. If that makes sense, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Travis. This has been really really informative and uh, and fun. So thanks for thanks for doing this. No problem. Have fun, guys. Enjoy it. Thanks, Travis. 
Capital City Soccer Show is brought to you by our friends at FVF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FVF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. Uh, one of the ways you, that you know that they're different is because you're never going to see them riding on top of a tank in a TV commercial or using a silly nickname <laughs> that sounds more like a professional wrestler than an attorney. You can go to fbf.law and find out more about what makes FVF different and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's fbf.law. All right, we want to thank Travis Clark one more time for joining us and sharing some of his knowledge with us. So uh, one thing that we wanted to talk about is um, what are the expectations coming out of this draft? So Jeremiah has done some uh, some research for us just kind of going through and seeing what did what did the the most recent expansion teams get out of this draft so jeremiah what what did you find and what do you think we can expect to get out of this i think when you look at the number one overall picks over the last 10 years it reinforces a lot of the stuff that we heard from travis in the interview about sort of the difference in talent from 10 to 12 years ago versus over the last few years so if you were to just look back at the first picks overall you would see um, you had like Andrew Blake in 2014. Um, you've had some more successful players, uh, Omar Salgado uh, in 2011, like more successful players early on. And in the last four or five years, um, there have been as many misses as, as there have been hits um, overall. And the other thing is with the expansion of the league, um, the expansion teams have have had the first pick more often than not. So one of the other things I did was took a little bit deeper dive into how expansion clubs had fared overall, not just with the first pick. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, we can start with Nashville, and this is something else that we heard in the interview. So they had the second pick uh, in 2020, and they picked Jack Moore, who's a defensive player, who played in three games, but then um, at 1.11, which is the same pick that Austin will have because of the trade that we picked up from, what was the Kamal Miller uh, trade? Kamal Miller, that's right, yeah. Yeah, they picked uh, Alistair Johnson, uh, who started played in 18 games in uh, started 15, which was almost the whole season for them. And then it was kind of a a random collection of nobodies beyond that. So like they had they they had one productive player uh, on the 20 yeah, out of the 2020 zero, appear zero appearances for their last their other four picks, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then Miami was kind of this. This is going to be the theme of all this. Is typically you can expect like <laughs> one good player. So Miami had a similar experience. 1.1, they picked Robbie Robinson, a forward from Clemson, um, which maybe a, a college team we're familiar with, right? Possibly. Yeah. Um, it, but he played 12 games, four starts, no goals. Uh, they had 1.3 from Cincinnati, and they picked a right back, Dylan Nealis, who started 10 of their 19 games, and they traded all their other picks. They had one productive player out of that one, too. Yeah, and then uh, I think Travis in the interview mentions Cincinnati, um, I'm looking at the names here. I recognize one of them, which was Frankie Amaya, who he he was one of their better players this year. Uh, but the rest of them, it looks like uh, a few appearances between them, but not a lot, right? Right. It took gold, two, they, and they traded for a bunch of second-round picks. They had a whole bunch of picks in the second round. Two of them were goalkeepers that did not play any games. Um, but, yeah, it was a real mixed bag, and I think we we believe that they invested a lot in this random collection of players. And then after they did that, they passed um, in the third, later in the third round and in the fourth round too, which is a theme. I think Travis talked about that too, but it's, it kind of shows you the depth of the draft that um, you end up with a lot of clubs passing in the third and fourth rounds. And it's also a theme with FC Cincinnati that they've done a really bad job with their draft picks in the expansion draft and the uh, super draft. So the, it's, it's almost like not having a general manager is a bad idea. <laughs> Who knew that, that not having that, yeah, would be that would not be helpful. And then back in 2018, LAFC, this was the the fourth most recent franchise, and Tristan Blackman, um, which they got one in 1.3. He only played in 10 games and started five games that year, but he's been a productive player for in 2019 and 2020 also. So he's one of, if not the star, I would say so far out of like these expansion team super draft picks. If you look at them together. John Moutinho as well. He, I think he was in LA for just a season and then went to Orlando, but he's been uh, like the, the first choice at left back for Orlando since he went there. So 
he, I think he's another example of a, of a good pick there. So um, looking, looking at all these examples, what does it mean? What, what can we expect to get after this, this expansion draft? Well, one thing you can th- the teams that are well-run teams that are smart, like LAFC seem to do really well. And teams like FC Cincinnati seem to do poorly. So hopefully we like our front office is organized like uh, more, more like LA, but I think, you know, you would believe that 1.1 will be a, a player that plays a lot and then possibly 1.11. And then beyond that, you're just looking at squad fillers is more or less what I see. You know, you gotta have, you have to have somebody in practice, but don't expect a lot of game time out of the rest of the super draft. Yeah. Looking back, I looked at some of the players, just like all the picks over the last several years and just kind of counting. I've watched quite a bit of MLS over the last few years. And so I, I have at least heard most of the players' names at this point. And so I just read through and re- was counting the number of players I had heard of in each year. And there were players from the last few years in the second round, like second and third round players. And so you can get lucky on on some of these guys or just like find someone that nobody else rated or someone else overlooked or whatever it is. So um, we could get lucky and get, I'd say like even three players that contribute this year would be like amazing but uh one or two i think is probably the best we can hope for right right and i think this touches back on something that travis said too it's sort of the combination of talent and opportunity and so it's whether you know if we pick guys that are in spots where we need help we'll probably get a lot more you know a lot more action and that comes down to philosophy also because you can look at either drafting the best player you can draft for need and if you just draft the best talent in every spot Maybe they're not going to play that much in the first year, but maybe maybe you're better overall. Yeah, yeah. So um, that uh, super draft is going to be on Thursday, the twenty first. Is that the right date, Jeremiah? Yeah. Yes, it is. Okay, Thursday, January twenty first. We'll we'll have uh, a reaction show the following week, kind of breaking down the players we got and uh, and just seeing how many of those we think are going to actually be contributors. But be on the lookout for that. Uh, another thing we wanted to talk about was. Uh, the striker Texas and uh, an interview they did with Adrian Healy on their Instagram live. So Jeremiah, tell us a little bit about this interview. Yeah. So the striker Texas is a, I guess it's a soon to be launched website and app, although it's active on social media right now, um, covering all levels of Texas soccer. Chris bills covers Austin. Chris was the person who interviewed Adrian um, on Instagram, but they've got writers in Austin, Dallas, Houston, bunch of USL coverage, you know, coverage around the state, but this was sort of their big, I think it was like the first piece of content they'd really put online. And so Chris interviewed Adrian for about 40-ish minutes um, on Instagram Live. Um, and Adrian had a few few highlights, things that I didn't necessarily, you know, hadn't heard before. Um, he talked about the biggest area of need as he saw it being, the, he called it a finisher, but I think we can probably, it's going to be a striker, right? Um, and then more help in the midfield were where he saw the biggest areas of opportunity um, to be. I, so going back to the finisher point, I don't know that it necessarily has to be a striker because like I would like LAFC, I would say Carlos Vela is their best finisher. Like he's their goal scorer. Right. And he's not on, well, sometimes he is, he played, he's played some, some nine for them, but generally he's a winger. That's true. So I think if it's a nine or a winger, whoever it is, somebody needs to score the goals. (laughs) And so um, but he did the way you talked about it kind of hinted it, it might be a nine, but who knows? Yep. And he, and I thought he talked to, it was interesting. He talked a lot about Diego Fagundes, like a lot yeah. and about And even though, I mean, we all know the name, he seemed to think that Diego was sort of underrated and that he was a person, the impression I got is he thought that he would thrive in this new opportunity that it, he had reached the point in his career where he needed to change his scenery and really felt like Austin was the place to do it. Yeah, which means maybe that the club really is kind of banking on him to be one of those those starting attacking players. Yep, and that was good. And then he got questions from um, those broadcast questions, and he said that he was gonna they they were expected to announce both like the network or TV partner um, in the next three weeks, and then he made it seem like their analyst on the English side of the language was like done but the contract just wasn't signed. Yeah, which something I saw on social media today is that Kyle Martino is in Austin, Texas as we speak. Oh, that's right. I didn't so, see that. Yeah, I saw that on Instagram. I hadn't put that together. Yeah, so I, we have no inside information. This is not like dropping a hint about anything. We have no idea, but that would be pretty sweet if uh, if it ended up being Adrian Healy and Kyle Martino doing our 
our TV broadcasts. Yeah, that'd be a killer duo. That'd be, that'd be they, yeah, that'd be that'd be really well done. Well, we'll take credit for it if it happens, and then if it doesn't, <laughs> yeah. blame it blame it on random internet speculation. Yeah. What else did we learn? Um, he one he seemed didn't seem to think the season was starting until May, but he was really um strong on the idea that we might not sign any more DPS until the summer, which I think is something that stressed out a fair amount of the fan base. Well, so. I I hadn't I, I looked at these show notes. You had written this in the show notes before I had actually watched that video, and I saw it, and I it kind of stressed me out for a second. But then I thought about it for a little bit, and it's like, okay, if the season doesn't start until May, that means we're gonna play what like three or four games before that June transfer window opens. And so it's not like if we start in March and we don't sign anybody till the summer, yeah, that's kind of brutal. But um, if it's if it's four or five games and then we sign a big like two big DPs from Europe or something like that, that's fine. I'm not I'm not that worried about that. But that's if the season gets pushed back. If we start in March and still don't sign anybody until then, then that's. It, it, I mean, I understand why and like why that's the strategy, but it's a little disappointing just because we want we want players now, <laughs> right? Um, but I understand the strategy and like like I said, if if the season gets pushed back, that's fine. We'll wait we'll wait a few games for those guys. Yeah, I know there's not a lot of comparisons to, there's no comparisons to the world we're living in now, but you know, I tried to dig back through and look at anybody that had done anything quite like that before, and it's hard to find a situation that's analogous to it um, as far as waiting that long to sign your second or third DP. A um, lot of teams have waited to sign the third one. The third one, right, yeah. But not the last, not not two and three, so that I think that's where the it would differentiate a little bit. But few teams have also like started playing during labor negotiations in a pandemic too, so it's a little bit of uncharted waters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we've mentioned the season start several times. So um, one thing that's kind of complicating all of that is uh, MLS brought a, brought upon uh, the the force majeure, which gave the the league thirty the the league and the MLS Players Association thirty days to renegotiate their CBA after those 30 days, MLS has the right to essentially tear up the CBA and start from scratch. Um, if that happens, there's a, a chance of the players being locked out and there being a labor stoppage and which essentially means no training, no games, no nothing essentially. So with all of that, I think it, it makes it even more likely that, that it's going to get pushed back, but there's a there's some some comments from Bob Foose, who's the spokesman for the MLS Players Association, about this that were that were pretty interesting. Yeah, he was pretty aggressive in his response to Don Garber's these like dueling video conference things that we do now for negotiation. And yeah, he was really negative about it. I think he he called it cynical at one point. Um, and I think at one point he's like, I don't know what Don's talking about. Like he, Don doesn't know what he's talking about. He's not a lawyer. Like what's he, yeah. what's he even saying these things? So it's, it's a very strong response, which I guess your negotiation, you would expect that fairly. So I think, I think after hearing, hearing him talk about it and then listening to the latest allocation disorder and kind of getting some more context to it, I think the players association and Bob Foose have the right to be a little bit annoyed by how this is all going down. It kind of seems like the league is trying to, pressure the players into just taking the first deal offered and like trying to make the players look like the ones who are holding it all up when really the longer this goes and the closer we get to having people in stadiums, I think more of that leverage shift shifts towards the players. And so I, and I think Bob Foose and the players association kind of know that. And so the league is trying to put this pressure on to, for this 30 day deadline, which is maybe not even a real deadline because Bob Foose was saying, yeah, you have, after the 30 days, you have the right to tear up the CBA and start from scratch, but you don't have to. Yeah, that so requires if, it. Yeah. If you do that, then it's because you want to. And so we're, we're not going to let you like paint us as the bad guys in this situation. So I, I hope it'll get done. And like the, the deal wasn't so bad that I don't think it will get done, but who knows if if MLS is going to try to play hardball with them like that, then maybe there will be a work stoppage. But uh, we'll we'll definitely keep an eye on that because it's probably going to have a lot to do with when the season actually starts. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you looked at the teams. I think it was on their Instagram today. Um, but there's players in town, right? They 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 showed 
there maybe three or six players they were giving tours to. And I think we've heard that the guys from um, from South America are coming in fairly soon. So Austin's moving forward like it's situation normal. Um, yeah, they'll at least mostly be ready to start in early February or next week if <laughs> if that's when it ends up happening. But who knows if that that's that's actually going to be the case. Um, one other th- one other thing we wanted to talk about real quick is the the New Jersey coming out. So Austin FC has been doing some promos for what they're calling the legendary Jersey. It's going to be our away Jersey. Uh, we've, we've gotten to see some of our friends in the promo videos, which has been pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's been really neat, um, to go from them doing videos with just models or stock photos or like the guy, the, the stock photo, the guy, in the bucket hat that Adidas put on the website to like pe- people that we've known that are supporters. And, um, you know, I heard from James Ruth that he thinks it's like the first time that a club's really gotten this deeply involved with like using actual supporters um, in promotion early on. So that's that that was really exciting to see. Yeah, it's a thing that I'd always kind of wondered about is like, are these people actually fans and they just pick like the best looking fans to do it? And having seen some of the promo stuff for Austin, I can pretty definitively say, no, these are models they hired because like, we would have known the people, right? Like somebody would have known the people in the in the the promo shoots or like the the ads or whatever. And it never is anybody we know up until this point. And so it, it's it's really cool that they've picked out people who have been very involved in this process from the start and and are putting them front and center at this uh, this jersey launch. So uh, we're thinking that's going to come soon. We don't know a date yet, but because they're teasing it already, I would guess within the next week or two that we'll have that second jersey available. Yeah, that that seems pretty likely. And so, what are we? Boring old white is what I wrote in the notes. What do we? <laughs> what do we expect out of it? I do expect it to be white, but I don't think that necessarily means it has to be boring. Um, there are I, and I may be in the minority in this, but there are some of the white kits in the league currently that I actually really like. Um, I think the main complaint is that they're all white. Like almost all of the away kits are white and they all look very, very similar. And so I think there is a way you can do a mostly white kit that would look really nice, but I just don't know if we're going to get that or not. Yeah. One of the, one of the positives to it that I've seen is even though it's the away kit, it's going to be hot in Austin in the summer. So you may see a lot of fans uh, looking forward to and getting the white kit just yeah as a for the sake of practicality <laughs> all right well i think that's a good place to wrap it up so we would like to remind you to rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and we'd also like to ask you to visit capitalcitysoccer.com where troy bryant and zag mason bring you the latest in austin austin fc news including player rumors sponsorship updates and more Next week, we'll be back to talk about the players we've selected in the Super Draft and how they fit into the Austin FC roster. And then we'll also take a look at the roster and see where we think we still need players. Um, And then we'll also cover any other news that happens between now and then. So until then, my name is Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. Nobody is around.